whether it's your hometown, whether it's the place you moved, um, whether it's where you currently live, uh, most of us have a special regard for a city or a place because of the memories associated with it, the, our interactions there. And we can see that, you know, God also has a special place that he loves. Um, here in Psalm 87, we'll see, we can see about the city of God. And we see how God feels about his city. We see uh, who these, the inhabitants of the city are. And uh, we'll see what our reaction to the city is. Um, so yeah, Psalm 87, it says, a psalm of the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah, uh, for those who may not know, were you know, great musicians during the time of King David, people who um, led the people in worship. Um, and as such, the psalm was likely sung during one of the festivals where people would come up to Jerusalem. It might be a song sung uh, with the pilgrims. Um, just during a festive time, uh, as people are rejoicing, and, you know, we think about, well, what kind of songs do we sing when we rejoice, and we might think about, you know, the birthday song when we get together to celebrate a person's birthday. Uh, we might think about the national anthem at sports games. You know, you feel a swell of national pride when you hear uh, that song. Uh, or maybe, you know, like me, you might just kind of hype yourself up on a Sunday morning with some gospel music as you get ready for church. Uh, so this kind of, this was the purpose of these psalms, uh, to get the people ready to worship God, to get them, um, yeah, just be amazed at the God that they're coming to worship. So yeah, it begins with, on the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Jerusalem. Uh, so this is the gates of Zion. is also a name for Jerusalem, and it was God's chosen city. It was here where he had decided that his temple would be built. It was here where he had uh, established the throne of David, a lineage that, should have, that would be established forever. God's people were the Israelites. His portion, uh, their portion was Canaan. But there was something special about Jerusalem that God chose to love with a deep love. The gates of Zion is where he was at. Um, the majesty of God's presence in the city, in the temple, through ruling through his king, is what leads us to that verse 3, which is, glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. And how could glorious things not be spoken of this place? This is the place where heaven met earth. Um, in the Old Testament, before the outpouring of the Spirit on all believers, Jerusalem was where you came to encounter God. You know, you have uh, the house of God, the temple standing before you. Here the priests labored around the clock to tend to the temple. Sacrifices were made for the atonement of sin. Jerusalem was where God dwelt. What a great thing to be reminded of as the pilgrims made their way up to Jerusalem to worship with their brothers and their sisters and to remember their liberation from Egypt, the God who had delivered them. And then we get to uh, just this, you know, it's like a musical term, Selah. It's just a pause. We can pause and we think about the magnificence of Jerusalem, the magnificence of God dwelling there. Um, and then the next few verses, we see God speaking. 
says, among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab in Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the people. This one was born there. This passage shifts from looking into the city of God to looking at those who will inhabit her. Who are the citizens of this glorious city? And now if you're an Israelite, the answer is clear. Those around you, those coming to worship God in Jerusalem. After all, you are the chosen people. You're the descendants of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. To you was given the law and the covenant at Sinai. But something strange is happening here in this verse. God speaks and says something different than what you might typically hear. Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Cush, Tyre. Who are these people? It's just a list of nations to us. But to the Israelites, these were, these were people who were enemies of God. Um, Rahab is another name for Egypt. And we all can remember the story of how the Israelites were in slavery uh, for over 400 years there before they were delivered. Every Israelite would have identified Egypt with suffering, the Egyptians with a oppressing force. Babylon was also another enemy of Israel, constantly attacking them. And eventually, they would be the ones to destroy Judah. Um, Babylon and Egypt were also enemies to each other, and since Israel was caught in the middle, they were often swept up into their conflicts. Uh, Philistia, homeland of the Philistines, a people who often clashed with the Israelites. Uh, if you remember the story of David and Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine who came up against them. Uh, Tyre was a friendly nation to the north. It was Tyre who supplied the wood that they needed for the temple. And Cush is, could refer to the Ethiopians, and in general, it was just for the people south of Israel. And so this is what, as an Israelite, is the most shocking. You're, it's not just those around you who are going to come worship God, but it's your enemies are going to be brought in. And you could say, you know, God, don't you, don't you know who they are? Don't you remember what they've done to us? Don't you know that they worship other gods? How can this be? How can you say that these people are going to know your name? But God also goes a step beyond that. And he doesn't say, not only that among them will be those who know his name, but it will be as though they were born in Zion itself. The psalm looks forward to a time when not only those who were at enmity with God will be reconciled with him, but they will be counted uh, as those who are naturally part of the covenant people of God. These benefits, the benefits of the covenant weren't just for Israel, but they were going to be for their enemies as well. Most, if not all of us in this room, are probably American citizens. Um, we can point out a city on the map and say, this is where we're born. And, you know, it's, we receive the full benefits of that American citizenship. Uh, we pay our taxes to the U.S. government. Uh, we're protected by the U.S. Armed Forces. Uh, we, you know, we wave a flag with uh, 13 stripes and 50 stars, and it's our identification. We are Americans, and 
here's where I identify with. Um, and then there are those who are in the process of becoming American citizens. Uh, you know, and they have to pass a test, they have to pay their fees, they have to prove uh, that they want to be here. Um, but once they get it, once they become citizens, they are granted full benefits of being a citizen of the United States. And I know many people in my life who have stood there, who have joyously proclaimed, look, I am now a citizen of America. Uh, and so this is what God is promising to, to these surrounding nations. There will come a time when they will no longer say, I am from Babylon, or I am from Philistia, or I am from Tyre, but rather, I am from Zion. I am part of the people of God. I am part of his covenant family. And this, uh, this is a reminder back to Genesis 12, where God tells Abraham uh, that through him, all the nations will be blessed. Or Exodus 19, where God tells his people that they will be a kingdom of priests for him. They will be a, Israel was meant to be a surrounding light to the nations. They were supposed to show the people what true worship of God looked like. And Zechariah looks forward to this um, as well, where God promises that people from many cities and nations shall come seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And the psalm ends with singers and dancers alike will say, all my springs are in you. This was the response to the glorious things that were done in the city of God. The response to the inclusion of the four nations into God's people. All of those participating turned to God and announced that their springs, their source of life, their source of uh, sustenance wasn't the one who established this holy city. Now, what does this mean for us? You may say, well, this is nice and all, but I'm not on my way to Jerusalem. I'm not worshiping at the temple. So quick summary is God establishes the city that he loves, Mount Zion, uh, and, and God registers his people. God calls the people and he will register them in the city. Um, and so we may think, great, okay, Jerusalem is God's city. And most of us, we think about Jerusalem and we're not thinking about nations being reconciled. We're not thinking about uh, God's promise to the nations that they will all come worship him. If you follow the news, Jerusalem is in the Middle East. It is in a hot spot. Um, it's a city that, is, that has been full of violence, that has traded hands between Christians and Jewish people and Muslims. Um, and it's just, you're not thinking peace unless you're seeing, you're hoping for it, but you don't think Jerusalem, ah, yes, that is where there's peace. You don't think Jerusalem, and you think that is where I'm going to worship God. Um, and in fact, you go to the Temple Mount today, and there is no temple. There is a mosque. Um, and how can, so then how do we see Jerusalem as God's chosen city when the city itself is in the midst of turmoil? What we can see is that Jerusalem, uh, in its physical sense, is a foretaste of God's eternal city. God loves the city, but the city will pass away along with all the other earthly cities. In Hebrews 12, uh, the writer says, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. 
we have not come to a physical Jerusalem. And we look at Hebrews 11.10, which says that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The physical Jerusalem where God dwelt in the Old Testament and where his king ruled from is but a foreshadow of what is to come. The patriarch's journey to that city by faith, the Israelites' journey by faith, and we too journey to that eternal Jerusalem by faith. In Revelation 21, verse 10, we see that John sees a vision of the holy city Jerusalem coming down and uh, coming down out of the heavens from God, having the glory of God. He goes on to describe it, and it's majestic. Walls of jasper, streets of gold, uh, foundations uh, made of jewels, gates made of pearls, beauty that's incomprehensible to us. But in the city, there is no temple. Why? Because there will no longer be a need for the temple. Uh, Verse 22 says, The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. There will no longer be a need for mediators between us uh, and God in that place. Uh, And we can continue reading, and we see the the promise of Psalm 87 fulfilled there. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And this is where the beauty of this heavenly Jerusalem is. We see the inhabitants of that heavenly place. From Rahab to Babylon, from Tyre to Cush, the nations shall come and worship uh, the living God in his city, in his eternal city that he established and that he loved. And how is this done? I talked about how Uh, To become, you know, a citizen of a nation, you usually have to pass a test. You usually have to pay fees. Um, You have to prove yourself there. And is this how we become citizens of this eternal city? Do we take some kind of test and say, look, God, this is how much I know about the Bible? Do we uh, pay some money to the church and say, look, I've paid this much, can you know, I get my citizenship now? Do we change our values so now we have to follow certain rules and laws and customs? No, not at all. We can enter by grace through faith. Israel was meant to be that light to the nations. She was meant to be the priest uh, to the world to guide the nations to worship of God. But she failed. And so God sent his son to accomplish what Israel had failed. Jesus came to be that light. Isaiah 49, 6 says of Jesus, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. When you read the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, you see one who was concerned uh, for the people of Israel. He said, I came to save my sheep. But the Israelites also needed to understand that God's plan wasn't uh, just for them. Uh, God's love wasn't just restricted to this one people group. We see Jesus interacting with Samaritans, with Greeks, with Syrophoenicians, those who were outside of the covenant community. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. 
His mission was a global one, to reconcile humanity back to the Father. Salvation needed to reach the ends of the earth. Um, Acts 2 uh, records the first sermon that was ever preached. It also records those who were present. We see that the nations were gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit arrived. And who heard the message? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, the list goes on and on. Those who had been dispersed at Babel were now being brought back into uh, together to hear God's plan for salvation. And we see the gospel go out in the book of Acts to the Ethiopian eunuch, Cornelius the Roman centurion. We see it go into Macedonia, Thessalonica, Crete, and Antioch. The nations that had previously been at enmity with God were being brought back into his rule. And this was the fulfillment among those who know me. I will mention Rahab in Babylon. Those who were near and far, those who were friends of Israel and enemies of Israel, all of them were being invited back into that covenant community of God. They were being, they heard the gospel. And what was the gospel? Repent and believe. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, the Son of God, the one who lived a perfect life, the one who was killed and raised from the dead, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father and rules the kingdom, the one who will come back someday to judge the living and the dead. John 3.16 reminds us that God so loved the world that he sends only begotten Son, so that all who may believe may not perish but have eternal life. Those who place their faith in the risen Christ are those who are invited to come into the city of God. Therefore, for us to enter, we don't need to do anything more other than believe. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, I can't enter the city. I'm too filthy. I've done too much for anyone to forgive me. Let me tell you that the grace of God is far deeper than you could ever imagine. Isaiah 19.25 says, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. And I already mentioned that the Israelites suffered under the Egyptians for 400 years as slaves. But it also mentions here the Assyrians. And if you know nothing about the Assyrians, they were an ancient warmongering uh, war people. They were cruel to those that they captured. They were wicked people. They raised the nations around them, established themselves as fearsome. And yet God himself said that there will be a day when even Assyria will be counted as his inheritance. If this cruel nation could find forgiveness in the eyes of God, so can you. Miles think about Paul of Tarsus, who persecuted the church with zeal. He was there when the first martyr of the church emerged, and he, had, uh, he was zealous to destroy Christianity. Yet the Lord encountered him and used Paul to be one of the greatest missionaries in Christendom. There is nobody here who is too far from, from the forgiveness of God. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And maybe you think to yourself, 
this is good and all. It's a great city. I love it. I want to I wanna see what God is doing. But first, let me get my life in order. Friend, you'll never enter the city of God that way. The invitation is open now. Luke 23, 40, we see Jesus dying on the cross. And next to him is a thief who defends Jesus. You know, one of them is mocking Jesus, saying, hey, why don't you save us? And the thief on the cross says, hey, he's done nothing wrong. But we have. We deserve to be here. Do you think that man had time to put his affairs in order before he came to Jesus? He was a man who most likely had plotted treason against Rome, a man condemned to die in the worst of ways, full of wickedness. His hatred of Rome had led him to this place. And he recognized that there was nothing he could bring except his faith. All he said was, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A humble plea that his memory at least not be forgotten. But Jesus says to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. As the hymn says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Jesus invites us into the kingdom, into the city of God. There is nothing we can do to prepare ourselves. There is no gift we need to bring. We must simply look to the Son of God for our salvation. And then there's also those of us sitting here. Okay, I've been saved. I've placed my trust in Christ. Now what? Friend, the gospel should spur you to spread the good news, to talk to others about this glorious city of God. Because all of us here at one point were enemies of God. We were the Egyptians. We were the Babylonians. Maybe we were like the people of Tyre, close enough to God, to his people, but still holding on to our own idols. But then one day somebody shared the gospel with you. Somebody pointed you to Christ and your life changed and you entered into that city of God. Remember that we are those who are among the foreign nations. We're not well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go on a limb and say most of us here are probably not Jews by birth. We are the Gentiles. We are those nations that were dispersed. We didn't belong to Israel. We didn't have the covenant given to us. We were far from God, yet we still needed him just as desperately as the Israelites. And how glorious was that day when the Spirit opened your heart and allowed you to see the beauty and the truth of God. But how could it have been done without, without someone to point you to Christ? Romans 10, how then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone to preach? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Somebody preached the gospel to us time and time again. Are we not grateful for those who persisted in sharing that good news with us? If we can read the psalm and we can marvel at the fact that the nations will come in to worship God, 
that they are being counted as his people, those who hated him. This should spur us to go out and preach the gospel to those who have yet to enter, to invite them in. Revelation 7, 9 shows the great fulfillment when it says before the throne of God, there will be a multitude that no one could number from every nation and tribe and people and language. Every nation will have the representative standing before the throne crying out, salvation belongs to the Lord our God. Black and white, Asian and Hispanic, there is no one to whom the city of God is not open to if they will put their faith in his son. And we get to be the ambassadors of this eternal city. The gospel transforms our hearts to share with others. I was once an enemy of God. You were once an enemy of God. But God declared that among the Gentiles, his name would be known. And because God had mercy on us, because he invited us into his eternal city, we can invite others. We can now say, I am from there. I am from those who were born in Zion. No longer are we Americans or British or French or any other identity we can claim. We are those who are registered as the ones born in Zion. And we can proclaim the kingdom to others. We invite them to come and see the benefits of the citizenship of Zion, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Here is the Father waiting to welcome us in with open arms. Here is the Son ready to establish us as co-heirs of the kingdom. Here is the Spirit ready to strengthen us in our time of need. And, uh, you know, here at New Life, we've been doing what is called the Kingdom Initiative, where it shows the small ways in which we can um, interact with our neighbors and uh, have ways to present the gospel to them. Uh, but why do we do it? Is it because we're like in the numbers game and we're like, oh, we just want to get people in the seats? Is it because we want to say, oh, we're going to be the biggest church around? No, because we truly believe that the gospel message is what this broken world needs to hear. We believe that uh, the world is thirsty for truth, and this thirst can only be quenched by the spring of life. And the spring of life is found in other than Jesus Christ. What does Jesus say to the Samaritan woman? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will come in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. This thirst for something greater can only be satisfied by coming to Jesus and drinking from the water that he offers us. And once again, we can see this play out in Revelation. In chapter 22, we see that there is a river uh, of water of life flowing from the throne of God itself. Here's where all of our needs are met. The heavenly Zion, Jerusalem, is a place where God is, you know, God is pleased to make his dwelling with his people. There will come a time when this physical Jerusalem, this physical world will pass away, 
but the new heavens and the new earth will come. And the new Jerusalem, that city that he founded, the city that he loves, it will come and be among us, and God will dwell with us again. And as we, as we gather to worship with our brothers and our sisters, not just here but around the world, we have a taste of the coming day when all the nations will be gathered to God. When we can say, yes, all of us, the Lord has marked us as being born in Zion. People from every corner of the earth shall find their thirst quenched in God, as we sing with the angels, holy, holy, holy. The city of God is open to all who place their faith in Christ, and the invitation is for everyone. Come and drink from the fountain of eternal life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that is at work in us. Lord, as we just think about the place, the city that you love, the ways that you work among us, we are grateful that you have chosen to call all the nations into a relationship with you. We are grateful that there is nobody who is too far from your grace to not enter into this city. And Lord, we, we long for the day when you return again to dwell with us, when we can enter that heavenly city, when we can uh, see the work that you have been doing from eternity past to the future, when we can stand with people from every tribe and tongue and nation singing out to you, proclaiming that, uh, that it was your son who saved us. Oh Lord, may our hearts be spurred to invite others into this city. Uh, may we be a people on mission for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.